You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I'm trying to ease into getting back up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and that's not going very well. Um, trying to get the you know episodes out early enough, and you know, plus I get a lot more done, because once everybody gets up, I can't do anything anymore. I mean, I could try, but you know, then I get in trouble because I'm not helping and whatever. But I set an alarm, and I was like, let's just try to get up at 5. Well, it's 6 o'clock now, because I just heard the alarm and said, no. Actually, I think it was 4 o'clock alarm, and I said no to that. Either way, it's 6 now. But we're working on it, trying to get a little bit caught up on sleep, and then uh, I was really, really expecting to just be cranking out tons of content, and I'm just, I'm not getting as much done, and I'm not happy about it. But anyways, we'll get there. Um, One of the most frustrating things is when I make a very declarative statement and I put it in the podcast, and I upload the podcast, and as I'm waiting for it to upload, I go on Twitter or something, and I see information that tells me that my information was wrong. Shoot. <laughs> so, I was I was half right and half wrong. I'm a little uh, right side of the line tirade. The part I got right is that the Packers are not having any heartburn about the starting offensive line. They know what's going to happen on the right side of the line. What I got wrong is what the Packers were doing on the right side of the line. Apparently, they really want Billy Turner to play in place of Rick Wagner. Again, injury aside, it's possible Billy Turner's injury is is a problem and Rick Wagner is playing against Minnesota. But what I'm talking about is the official Green Bay Packers depth chart that lists Billy Turner as the starting right tackle. Now, I guess I should not be all that surprised. And it's there's still a slight chance that this is still some trickery going on. You know, if, if they know Billy Turner isn't playing, or maybe the injury is part of the deception, I don't know, you know, whatever. But the point is, and again, it's not what I was expecting, but it should not have been surprising, although I am still surprised. The Packers are obsessed with Billy Turner. It drives me insane that they're obsessed with Billy Turner. I don't know why they're obsessed with Billy Turner, but they are. I feel it's, man... Maybe it's just a Matt LaFleur thing, because I'm trying to figure this out. I'm looking at what Brian Gutekunst has done, and I I just, I really like, for the most part, I, you know, I know some people are really mad, especially this year, because, you know, people are mad at what happened, even though we have no idea whether or not it's going to be good or bad yet, but they're preemptively mad. But I, I like what he's done. I like what he's done through the draft. Not perfect, but find me a GM that's had a perfect draft, and I will concede that Brian Gutekunst is garbage. Until then, leave me alone. He went out and got Zedarius... He got Preston, he got Amos, and everything just works. Everything's just great. And then they got Billy Turner, and that was the one, even when they got him, I was like, I don't really get it. Like, Zadarius, he had kind of a breakout year, 
And worst case scenario, he kind of stays what he is, and he's decent. He's not worth 17-ish million, um, but whatever. Preston, I liked a lot more because Preston was right at about what Zadarius was in terms of pressure percentage and whatnot, which is what I liked. And he was much better against the run, which completely dropped off when he was with the Packers. And he's also better in coverage. He's a little bit more versatile and a lot more cheap. And it's like, all right, we got pass rushers. These guys are at like 12.5% pressure percentage. That's awesome. Let's go. We, we got it. We needed that badly. We haven't had it in years, and now we got it. Plus, we drafted Rashawn. Nice. We got Amos, who was the guy that I wanted. I listed a couple safeties that I liked. Amos was very near the top of the list, and that's who we got. Very excited about it. And then they get Billy Turner, and I just didn't get it. He had spent time in Denver. He had spent time in Miami, and both of those fan bases were laughing. Like, how is this guy still have a job? He's terrible. And I looked at Pro Football Focus, and it's like, yeah, he's not great. And then he comes over here and it's like, well, maybe they know something. Maybe they're like, I don't know. Nope. Worst player on our offensive line by kind of a lot, including our rookie, which says a decent amount. But anyways, I do want to, since this is now apparently official, I do want to kind of look back. I've done this before, but it was a long time ago. Um, Take a look at Billy Turner a little bit um, and what he has done in the past. I think conventional wisdom, at least insofar as what a lot of fans would probably assume, is that if you're bad at right guard, you're going to be terrible at right tackle. That hasn't really been the case for Billy Turner. I think when we had picked him up, I said that you could possibly argue he's a little bit better at right tackle than he is at right guard, but ultimately it's it's about the same. So I want to look at Billy Turner. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff popping off on Twitter that I wanted to address. Somebody threw some more stuff about Yannick in my face. I really want to stop talking about him, but we're just going to keep going as long as people keep saying stupid stuff. I'm going to keep calling them stupid. That's just, that's the number one rule of the Packernet podcast. When somebody says stupid stuff, I have to call them stupid. I'm sorry. It's just, it's a disorder I have. It's similar to Tourette's. I cannot control it. And if you shame me about that, you are ableist, I believe is the term, and shame on you and your family and everyone you know and love and care about. How's that sound? Good? All right. Um, Snacks Harrison, Marcel Darius, etc., etc. Lots of stuff going on. Oh, and uh, I don't know why it's not in my notes here. I thought I put it in there. Shoot. But um, it'll flow nicely with the Yana conversation because it's kind of looking at statistics in general. But Aaron Donald has been all over Twitter as well, and I want to kind of briefly brush against that. I shouldn't. Why do I even say the word briefly on this podcast? I can't do anything briefly. But we'll see what, we'll talk about it. Anyways, I know I say it in the intro, but please be sure to check out Packernet.com. Lots of news going on right now, and if you want to make sure you get all the Packers news, Packernet is an aggregator, so it just pulls all the news in one place, and it pulls all the real news sources, like actual, real Packers websites, not, you know, sports271.net, backspace, www.creedthoughts.net.com with clickbaity nonsense. So be sure to put that in your uh, your bookmark to save that one. If you're interested in um, supporting the show, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Think about that. We're, we're, we're officially doing it. Right now it's starting. Seven days a week we're doing this podcast. Doing it through at least the end of the season. Possibly miss a day or two here and there. That's not the point. That's 30 episodes for a buck. It's not a. It's, I mean, granted, you get it. You get the same amount for free. But let's just let's stay focused here. We're talking three cents an episode. That's. I mean, that's not bad, man. That's a bargain. Think it over. I was. Uh, 
It's a little bit depressed today. I I'd opened up. We've got this spreadsheet that shows if I have any advertisements running or whatever. And I know you hear ads, but those are those are separate things. I barely I get like four cents off of those. They're garbage. Like the Starbucks things and all that. That's that's nothing. The ones that I read are are the ones that actually mean something. And for some reason, I opened up the spreadsheet to look at it to see if there's anything upcoming. There's not. There's the one that you keep hearing, but other than that, there's not. But it opened up to a year ago, September last year. There were four ads in September. There's one for the rest of the year right now. It's like, oh my goodness. Coronavirus has just ruined everything. And I was warned about that, that advertisers have just completely dried up. It's not your concern. I'm just letting you know this has been a terrible, (laughs) terrible... I had such lofty goals, man. My wife was literally making fun of me. I'm like, good, good, laugh about it. You wait and see. I'm going to double what I did last year. That down payment for the house, it's going to be done by the end of the year. Well, nope. I could buy myself a nice steak dinner by the time this season's over. But anyways, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I need your help. Thanks very much. What else? Get in the group. Like the page. Um, I am, again, was supposed to be uploading videos a long time ago. But I feel like I have drawn as much interest from the Facebook group and Facebook in general to the YouTube channel. And so I don't really worry as much about competition between the two. So I am planning on starting to upload videos to Facebook. That will mean some of you will stop watching on YouTube, but that's fine. I'll live with it. I didn't want to do that initially, but I did want to have both going. So I am planning on doing that. So if you want to watch any of my Packers content, you can subscribe on uh, YouTube at Pack Daddy NFL, or just like the Facebook page, and you'll see some additional content over there. I think that's good enough. Let's take a break, and we'll talk about some stuff. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so let's um, let's just kind of zoom out and look at the career of Mr. Billy Turner. Billy is 28 years old. He was a third-round pick out of North Dakota State in 2014 by the Miami Dolphins. Um, in year one, that is 2014, Billy only came in um, one game. This was week 17. I don't know if it was just because they were getting so blown out they decided to give him a shot or if somebody got hurt last minute or what. I don't know. But he played right tackle. Played 17 snaps at right tackle, 5 run-blocking attempts, 12 pass-blocking attempts, and he did a pretty admirable job. Didn't allow a single sack, hit, or hurry. It's a small sample size, but, you know, decent. Terrible run-blocker, but whatever. So there you go. In 2015, the next year, they're like, all right, let's give this guy a shot. They kicked him into right guard, and they let him play the entire season at right guard. His overall PFF grade was a 55.7, meaning not very good. It's actually worse than he was in 2019 which, shockingly, is one of the better seasons he's ever actually had. At right guard with Miami, he allowed eight sacks, six hits, and 11 hurries. For reference, Elton Jenkins in his rookie year allowed zero sacks, one hit, 23 hurries. It's a ridiculous amount of hurries, but not a single sack or hit. Or, excuse me, one hit, no sack. Billy Turner gave up eight sacks, six hits, 11 hurries. So not great. I mean, he had had extremely volatile, right? Some games, he was great. Week 11 against Dallas, one sack, no hits, no hurries. 86.8 overall grade, real good game. Unfortunately, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 of his 12 games were below a 60. Again, 60 is average via PFF, so all but three games were below average. Not very good. In 2016, he got moved all over the place. He was, again, a backup. Um, In week 3 against Cleveland, they moved him out to right tackle. Again, presumably to fill in for somebody who was injured. He only played eight snaps, so it doesn't really matter. He didn't give up a single sack, hit, or hurry, so he was fine, but again, almost did nothing. Then the next week, he played left guard. He was a starting left guard because, I mean, it just, they needed a left guard. He was putrid. He had an 18.3 overall pass blocking grade. That's one of the worst grades you'll ever see. Eight, I mean, it just you just don't see grades usually below, like, 40. Because 40 is really, really bad. Which his overall grade was a 43.2. He gave up a sack, a hit, and three hurries in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Then the next week, week five, they needed him at left tackle. So he was a starting left tackle. His overall grade was a 28.4. His pass blocking grade was a 21.1. He gave up three sacks, two hits, and three hurries in one game. They moved him to to Denver. They said, we're done. He needs to go. So he's, he's like their number one backup. Billy Turner is their number one guy. He's their guy, right? When somebody gets hurt, Billy Turner goes in, right? Same thing the Packers are doing. Like, he's just, he's so good. We can put him anywhere. We can put him right tackle, left guard, left tackle, right guard. Literally the places that Miami has put him. And he's been terrible in all those spots. He played those three games, and they're like, yep, he's gone. Bye. So Denver takes him. That seems to do a little bit of a better job in Denver, but he doesn't get very many opportunities. Starting in week 15, still in 2016, against the New England Patriots, he plays 14 games for New England. He's playing at right guard. He allowed zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, 
He had an 81.3 overall grade. So PFF is like, yeah, this guy's awesome. Still terrible as a run blocker. He's never, to this point, been good. Spoiler alert, he's never once been good ever in the history of his career at run blocking, which makes it staggering that Matt LaFleur is looking at this guy like, yeah, that's my guy. Again, I don't understand what they like in Billy Turner. Continuing on. He plays again in Week 16 on a part-time basis. This time he plays 11 snaps. Same exact story. Grades out real well. No sacks, hits, or hurries. Week 17 against Oakland. Same thing. Plays 16 snaps. Real good against the pass. Zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries. Putrid against the run. Again. Or not against the run. In the run game. So there's a glimmer of hope. He had his first ever three-game stretch where he did a good job. Very limited basis. He's playing about 10 to 15 snaps per game, but it's a three-week stretch at one position, and he did a good job. In 2017, Denver brought him in for only 46 snaps. They needed him in weeks, so he's still a backup. Week six, their right tackle goes down. He comes in basically for the whole game, 46 snaps. He allowed one sack and three hurries. His pass blocking grade was a 32.5, which is putrid and horrible. His run blocking grade was a 64, so average, which is about as good as it gets for Billy Turner in the run game. And then in 2018 is when he had really his best year to date, which I'm assuming is what started to appeal to the Green Bay Packers. Billy Turner moved around quite a bit, but he was a starter for a large part of the season and played just about every game. The first game, he only played two snaps against Seattle at left tackle. Both of them were pass-blocking reps. He did fine. Obviously, he didn't give up any sacks, hits, or hurries. Graded out fine. But when you have li- very limited snaps, you're going to be close to 60, which is average because there's not much to go off of. He got a 69, which means it was solid. You're, you went up that much in only three snaps. That's fine. The real test came week two against Oakland, where he played right tackle, which is kind of what we need to be most interested in. 35 snaps, 23 in the passing game, 12 as a run blocker. Or, yeah, as a run blocker. Zero sacks, hits, or hurries. Did a great job terrible as a run blocker but still great job the next game against kansas city now bear in mind this is when kansas city had gone nuts right they got mike smith d4 justin houston doing a great job so he's in a lot of trouble sure enough it didn't go well he didn't allow any sacks or hits but he allowed four hurries and he graded out terribly he did however do a really good job in the run game first time i think i've ever seen that he's got one more of those games coming up and that's basically it for his entire career against the jets he graded out well against la he graded out well against arizona he graded out well He allowed one sack, zero hits, and one hurry in that three-game stretch. Graded out really, really well. Terrible in the run game. Then came Kansas City again. Kansas City wrecked his world again. Two sacks, zero hits, three hurries, five total pressures. Graded out terribly. Didn't do much in the run game. After that, apparently they decided he wasn't their starting right tackle anymore. Possibly their right tackle came back from injury, whatever. Played three games at left tackle. Doesn't really matter. Then they put him at left guard. They must have had a need there. This was his second ever good you know job in the run game against the charger decent as a pass blocker the next game against pittsburgh again as a left guard he played left guard as a starter for the remainder of the season 24.8 overall pass blocking grade horrific only allowed let's see zero sacks zero hits three hurries but again and we're going to talk more about this stats lack context it's why i do like the grades the, the problem with the grades is that the grades are much less concrete In other words, the stats are the stats. We know 100% there was zero sacks, zero hits, and three hurries. I mean, I guess we shouldn't say 100. There's some some maybe possible question marks in there in terms of responsibility. But although it doesn't give us a full picture, we know it's a reality. Grades are kind of coming from the opposite angle. We don't know if they're judging this rightly, but it does provide more context. 
And when they're saying he graded out at a 24.8 but didn't allow any pressures, hardly, I'm looking at that saying he just got absolutely wrecked, but the guys never got to the quarterback, right? So if he gets completely flattened, just right out of the gate, just gets pushed back on his head, but the quarterback gets the ball out in time, or possibly the, you know, there's a, a running back there to kind of come up and, and help out in that, op- to, you know what I'm saying, my goodness. He helped. That would be in a, a situation where the grades would reflect doing something terribly and the stats don't reflect that. But anyways, horrible, horrible game. Next game against Cincinnati, same thing. He graded out poorly in both pass and run. Zero sacks, one hit, one hurry. His game against San Francisco, he did fine. He graded out really well. Zero sacks, zero hits, two hurry. Against Cleveland, he graded out decent, 68. Against Oakland, he graded out really well, 72. And then he ended the season with the Chargers at a 42. Zero sacks, zero hits, but six hurries in that game. Overall, and again, this was his banner year. This is the year in which you're like, wow, he actually has some potential here. He had two very good games. He had five good games. He had three average games one below average game, one bad game, excuse me, two bad games, and then two, we'll just call them putrid games. Anything under 40, I just I just throw in putrid because it should never be below a 40. His overall grade, again, in his really good year, was a 64.4. Out of 200 offensive linemen, actually, let's be a little bit more specific, out of 210 offensive linemen, Billy Turner was 117th. Out of 88 offensive guards, which is what they characterized him as, listed him as, he was ranked 41st. To give some context, he was one spot behind Justin McCray that year. The year that we decided this is a guy that we need on our team, he was one spot behind Justin McCray. Lane Taylor graded out 34th. Then fast forward to 2019 with the Green Bay Packers. His overall grade went from a 64.4 to a 63. His pass blocking grade went from a 65 down to a 54. His run blocking grade, however, went up from a 59 to a 63, so fantastic. And now, this team that is obsessed with Billy Turner, the Green Bay Packers, they just can't get enough. He, we, we can't say enough good things about him. He's really incredible. Aaron Rodgers is obsessed with him. I don't know, I, you know, I don't, for whatever reason, they think this guy is just the ultimate. And he did such a great job at right guard. We just really feel like he needs to move at right tackle. And, and again, this could just be... They're watching Rick Wagner and going, this guy just doesn't have it anymore. We missed it on him. You know, we thought maybe he would bounce back from this injury, but nope. He had a bad year last year. He's a terrible right tackle. We need somebody else, and the the best way to put the best guys out on the field would be to put Billy Turner at right tackle, despite the fact that we think it's a terrible... It's possible that's what it is, but they just, they're so glowing about how good he is. And maybe they're just being nice, but that's not the perception I'm getting. These guys seem to be going out of their way to talk about how great Billy Turner is, and I just, I've never seen it ever. Nobody has ever seen it, aside from apparently Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, who sat in a room and watched Billy Turner and went, wow, this guy has just got all the, he's got the juice, man. He's got what we need, son. A, A head coach that wants to run the ball more goes out and gets a guy that has no ability to block in the run game and is a subpar pass blocker, and that's being polite. We paid him way too much money to come over here. He's performed exactly as he had in the past. He, he, he met my expectations, which again, I don't, I don't know if anybody still hates PFF that listens to this show or not. The reason I like pro football focus is that it's predictive. If you have a good stat or a good system of any kind, it's not just that you can read into the past, right? Because then you can get 
dive like with Yannick. Depending on what stats you look at, he's either a really good player or a mediocre player. The question is, which one can read into the future and tell you what's going to happen? Not that anything's perfect, but it should be able to, over time, produce information that helps you make decisions that are correct. And I feel like I have a very good track record of telling you not just what's happened, but what's about to come. And a lot of that has to do with reading into all the information, the large portion of that coming from Pro Football Focus. I told you I like Zadarius, I like Preston, I like Amos, I have no way of reading into Billy Turner, and and a lot of Packer fans refuse to acknowledge that. Because your source of information and your way of reading into the future is by looking into your heart and finding a huge Packer fan sitting and they're just excited about everything. And, and finding all the positive clips that you can find, you know, sound bites of, of Matt LaFleur and everybody else talking about how athletic he is and how he's going to be great for this team. And I'm just looking at the information going, yeah, maybe. I mean, he could have he could have had a Zadarius situation where he just completely explodes in the, he just, you know, it's just a perfect situation for him. But I just, I have no hope for that. I'm looking at a team that, that probably needs to draft a right tackle in the first round next year. That's that's the only thing I can I can get out of it. And, and and again, I don't think he's going to be that much worse at right tackle. However, he has a much harder job at right tackle these days. There were situations, for example, when let's say Khalil Mack could stunt to the inside and destroy Billy Turner as a guard, but he more often went up against Brian Balaga, who held his own against Khalil Mack. Billy Turner will not be able to do that. That's a problem. He's also not going to be able to do anything against Khalil Mack in the run game. That's a problem. So, as we sit here, and again, I was fine with Rick Wagner being cheaper and saying, okay, he's a little bit of a downgrade on Brian Balaga, um, but, you know, he's he's held his own in Detroit for years, and, you know, if we just need him for a one-year fill-in, then let's just do it. But if you're telling me we're putting Billy Turner there, then I'm telling you you're stupid for not paying Brian Balaga for one more year. That's, I mean, I'm usually not that guy. Usually it's like, all right, I get it. He's getting old, whatever. But if we're just looking for one-year fill-ins, or if this is, and a lot of Packer fans have been saying this, that, you know, based on what we're paying them, they had no intention of keeping them at guard. They wanted to put him to tackle. It kind of feels like they're forcing that a little bit. Like, this was our long-term vision all along, that Billy Turner would be our tackle, Lane Taylor's a good enough guard, and that makes sense, assuming Billy Turner's a good football player. The problem is he's not. The other thing that worries me about Billy Turner, he had a couple good games, but there's a very big difference between how he performs against teams that have garbage pass rushers and how he performs against teams that have great pass rushers. For example, L.A. Now, if you look at L.A.'s, the, the excuse me, the Rams, got to be specific these days, the Rams actually grade out as one of the best pass rushing teams in football, so what are you talking about? Yeah, but none of them line up against Billy Turner. He was a right tackle in that game. The only reason they grade out well as pass rushers is because of Aaron Donald, who's a defensive tackle. The number one pass rusher on the team in 2018 was Aaron Donald with 21 sacks. The next best player on that team was Indomitian Sue with seven sacks. Then they had Corey Littleton, a linebacker, with four sacks. Then Dante Fowler with four. Dante Fowler had four sacks on the season. No wonder Billy Turner did a good job against the Rams. Every human being on planet Earth. We could have put Corey Lindsley at right tackle and he would have done a better job. Then you look at Arizona, his next really, really good game. Well, they got Chandler Jones, and Chandler Chandler Jones is really good, and he's off the edge, so there you go. Okay, where did he line up week seven? 22 of his snaps came off as a 
uh, defensive end on the right side. Billy Turner was a right tackle, but it's not the same right. The defensive right is the offensive left. He played exactly zero snaps against Billy Turner. Zero. So Chandler Jones did not play against Billy Turner. Chandler Jones had 12 sacks. The next best pass rusher on the team is Robert Kemdichi, defensive tackle. Then Rodney Gunter, defensive tackle. Then Hassan Reddick, linebacker. Then Zach Moore, edge rusher, who had four sacks. They had one good pass rush, pass rusher, and he didn't line up against Billy Turner. Not one time. His next best game was against the Oakland Raiders in 2018. The number one pass rushing Oakland Raider was Maurice Hurst, defensive lineman with four sacks. Next best pass rusher was Bruce Irvin with three sacks on the season. Bruce Irvin lined up on the opposite side. The next best pass rushers were Carl Joseph, the safety with two sacks, Clint McDonald, defensive lineman with two sacks, linebacker Nicholas Morrow with one sack, and then Arden Key, the edge rusher, with one sack. They had zero sacks outside of that. Arden Key, Mr. One Sack, lined up 11 times against Billy Turner. Are we getting the picture? He does a really good job when he doesn't have to do anything, when he's going up against the worst possible players in history. However, you put him against Cam Hayward on the inside, he gets graded at a 24.8 when he played left guard against Cam Hayward. Didn't really go so well. The guy that just got paid because he's a freak. You put him against Chris Jones and D4, or excuse me, D4 and Justin Houston, it's a different story. He got absolutely lit up. So that's concerning. If he plays week one, he's going up against Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter and Arden Key are not the same guy. Fortunately, I believe Trey Flowers lines up on the um, largely against David Bakhtiari. But then we've got the Saints, where he has to go up against Cam Jordan. Well, that kind of sucks. Then he gets a little bit of a reprieve until he has to go up against Mr. J.J. Watt. No, he's interior. Okay, what do they do in dime? Which at this point is basically da- a base. He plays a defensive end. As in outside, hand in the dirt, edge rusher, off of the defensive left side, which would be the offensive right side, which is right where Billy Turner is. So he has to go up against J.J. Watt. I don't know if he's going to stay there. Maybe he gets absolutely wrecked and, and Wagner comes in. I'm hoping that that happens. Because even the bad version of Wagner, I don't know that that's worse than Billy Turner. Rick Wagner, since, let's see, well, since he's been with Detroit, he had a 75.2 overall grade with a 78 pass blocking grade, a 71.4 overall grade with a 75.9 pass blocking grade. That was 2017 and 28. He had a down year when he was injured and got a 58.6 and a 59.4 offensive and pass blocking grade respectively that's marginally worse than billy turner was these last two years and i would say is about par for the course for what billy turner has done in his career so rick wagner at his worst is rated about what billy turner gives us however at their best rick wagner is a quality solid right tackle and billy turner is just not so i you know i don't know man if if this is it i'm i'm concerned i'm not a fan of this Maybe there's some magic about to happen, but we've already seen a year. We already talked about that magic, and it never came. We saw a guy that was there, was... there was no question in anybody's mind watching these games that Billy Turner was the weak link along the offensive line, and it wasn't even close. And now we're putting him right where Brian Balaga is. We went from... I mean, the, the only good news about this is that we've upgraded our right guard spot. Lane Taylor's going to go in where Billy Turner was. And I'm not the biggest Lane Taylor fan in the world, but I will take him over Billy Turner any day of the week. I might even take him at right tackle over Billy Turner. 
Can Lane play two positions at once just to get Billy Turner out of here? It's, I mean, it's just it's just annoying. I don't like this. I don't like that the Packers are so obsessed with Billy Turner and that they keep forcing him into these premium positions where he can't handle the job. We're going to risk Aaron Rodgers' health because we, we're just obsessed with Billy Turner and his, his ability and the way he carries himself or something stupid. I'm glad that he's a good dude and, you know, people like him. I would like a really good right tackle to, to protect Aaron Rodgers, please, against Daniil Hunter and Khalil Mack and J.J. Watt and Cam Jordan. Eric Armstead, Justin Houston, his old buddy. Indiana- now he's with Indianapolis, still as good as ever. We already know Justin Houston wrecked his world once. Well, he gets a do-over. 900-year-old Justin Houston coming back to town. Then he's got Khalil Mack. Got Brandon Graham with the Eagle. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a nightmare, man. And it, it's no different than usual, right? This is, this is normal. Last year was even worse, I think, with the guys off the edge, especially off the right side, the, the offensive right side. That's why I was so impressed with Brian Balaga. He had a harder job than David Bakhtiari did. Most of the premium pass rushers we went up against lined up on the right side. And he handled his business. He's really, really good. And again, I I get it to a degree. We want to save a little bit of money. We'll go out and get Rick Wagner. I'm all on board with that. It's not great. It's a slight downgrade, but it's slight. But now you're going to put Rick Wagner behind Billy Turner? I'm not just mad because I got my prediction wrong. Forget the prediction. Because I'm not wrong. (laughs) That's, that's why I'm upset. I'm right. Rick Wagner is a better tackle than Billy Turner is. And I'm worried. I'm worried about this Minnesota game. I'm worried that what should be a, 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 a win for the Green Bay Packers in week one, because the Packers are a better team, turns into a disaster because we can't stop Daniil Hunter. I mean, do you remember that Chargers game? Nick Bosa single-handedly wrecked our world. We couldn't do anything because we couldn't get the offense going because David Bakhtiari got embarrassed by Joey Bosa. He just lived in the backfield. Bakhtiari had one of the worst games I've ever seen him play, and Bosa's just a freak. And we lost to a really pretty bad team in the Chargers. And that wasn't the only thing that went wrong, but no question, we don't win that game ever if we don't find a way to stop Bosa. How much are we going to have to relive that this year? How many games are we going to have to see that this year? Where we just can't... I don't know. But it, but it also reinforces the fact that we need to start moving away from holding onto the ball, launching down the field and moving toward the get the ball, throw the ball, get the ball, throw the ball, run the ball, get the ball, throw the ball, run, 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 get the ball, throw the ball. Because that just neutralizes a pass rush. If the ball's out of your hand in 1.75 seconds, there isn't a pass rush on this planet that's going to get there in time. So I'm, I'm, I, again, I, I knew it was a possibility. I just never thought it was actually a possibility that Billy Turner would win that job. A guy that, that has never performed admirably anywhere for any stretch of time is going to beat a well-established right tackle and again maybe rick wagner's just done man i don't know he's 30 years old going on 31 but i mean i just don't get it former wisconsin boy finally comes back an old you know a, a wisconsin badger he's back in wisconsin he has the opportunity to to help the packers win football game he's he's more than capable and again, maybe this just has to do with the injury. Maybe it's just, you know, he's not playing for a while, so Billy's our guy, and, you know, we'll give him first crack. I, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to explain this. And, you know, obviously it's impossible that he just did slightly better in training camp, and they're like, well, we'll just go with the hot hand. But I feel like basic common sense would say, I don't care what training camp says. I've seen two different careers here. One of a very good player who's been at right tackle for his entire career and has dominated. And one is a guy that floats around from team to team, can't find a job, can't hold down a job, 
can't play guard, can't play tackle. We overpaid him. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm drifting into just being mean territory, but I'm a little upset by that. And make no mistake, I hope I'm wrong. But again, I'm just looking at the available information. What do you do with that information? I'm not asking you to just look into a crystal ball and say you're stupid because you don't know and the Packers obviously know. No, they don't know. And you know that coaches don't know. Don't, don't go down that fake road. Well, you think they don't know better than you? I don't know. Do they? Do coaches only make right decisions? Is that, is that the logical hole we're going down right now? Because that's ridiculous. I'm saying let's look at all the available information. You tell me. You show me. You point to me where Billy Turner does a good job. <sighs> Should have just paid Balaga, man. Just pay the man. One year. That's it. One year. He would have probably taken less just to stay. I don't, I don't get it. Anyways, moving on. Um, there was a comment, and it, I'm not going to say it was all over Twitter because it wasn't, but it was sent to me um, just as kind of a what do you think of this kind of thing. And I'm not even going to list say who it was because I don't want it to sound like I'm attacking them. But let's just say the theory was posited, and a lot of Packer fans are real, still really worried about the interior of our defensive line. I think this is very similar to wide receiver and offensive line and everything else. The Packers are set. They know what they have. They know what they want. They're comfortable enough. Obviously, they would love to have better options in certain places, but they're good. They're, they're ready to roll. Packer fans are not. You know, it's, it's the final hour, and we still think we're going to go out and get this defensive tackle and this wide receiver that's going to have, you know, on, on three days' notice, he's going to come in and start. I doubt that very much. But the, the theory was thrown out there, why don't we essentially go out and get Marcel Darius? The rationale behind it, Marcel Darius last year was ranked 65th among all defensive linemen against the run which is better than any and all Green Bay Packers last year. Now, right off the bat, when I hear that, it just, it, it, it would be like if you were to go over to a friend's house and his wife was a really bad cook and she was making dinner. So you're like, you know what? We should probably stop and eat before we go there because her cooking is disgusting. And you're like, all right, where should we go? And they're like, well, there's this really terrible restaurant down the street that is slightly better than her cooking. We should eat there. So, well, uh... What? <laughs> in other words, Marcel Darius was pretty bad against the run, but he was marginally better than the Green Bay Packers, so we should go get him. I, just that alone kind of I didn't fully understand. Um, beyond that, Marcel Darius, I mean, here, here's the problem. We kind of almost just need to throw out the rationale that he, that he put out there because it kind of makes sense, but only if you disregard 2019 because 2019 was not good, but he was also injured, so it kind of doesn't really matter, I guess. But 6'3", 331, he's a big dude, right? He is a guy that is kind of like snacks, kind of like, you know, whoever. Pretty much every 6'3", 331 pound defensive tackle. He's useless as a pass rusher. Hasn't been able to help in that department since he was with Buffalo in 2014 when he had 10 sacks, but is stout against the run. This is very similar but to a, a much larger degree. And I will say this is different than Yannick because he's been basically the same guy forever. It's not like he had that one good year with Jacksonville, therefore whatever. No, nonsense. It was actually one of his worst years was 2017 with Jacksonville. I wouldn't be opposed to Marcel Darius. The The problem is, what is he going to cost? He's 31 years old, and there's definitely a decline that's taking place. Um, 2013, 14, 15 with Buffalo, he was basically elite. 2016, 17, 18, he was kind of high 70s, low 80s which is good to very good. And then again, this year he was hurt, but he was at a 68.8 against the run. So the first thing we would have to establish with Marcel Darius, kind of similar to Rick Wagner, is this a situation where he's a really good player, 
That's pretty old, but he's got a little bit left in the tank. If he's healthy, we should pull the trigger, and he's cheap. If that's the case, I'm on board. Let's do it. But again, he's got to be relatively cheap. We've got to factor in he's 31 years old. He's coming off an injury, and he really did a poor job last year. Injury or not, it doesn't matter. You were you were not good. Um, if those things are all in line, and 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 listen, this is I don't I don't know if if he's getting this from it just off the top of his head, or if there's some talk about this being a possibility, or possibly just the fact that there's a fire sale in Jacksonville, and we should just get the last of the remaining defenders that's good at anything. This is actually, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of a Michael Pierce pickup. This is almost identical to Michael Pierce. Michael Pierce has been one of the premier nose tackles in the league. He's not technically a nose tackle, I think, because I I believe they have a 4-3 in Baltimore, but it doesn't matter. Very, very good, big-bodied run defender that had a down year last year that Minnesota picked up and was hoping he would regain some of that magic. That's Marcel Darius. One of the premier run defenders in the NFL was injured, 31 years old, down year for sure. Does he have anything left in the tank? Are the Jaguars willing to move him? What's it going to cost? Which is the other thing we have to factor in. If, if it's a trade scenario, we have to give up some compensation. Now, I would hope and think that this is a very low... I mean, I, it, I, I guarantee it would be like a seventh. And the only reason I say that is that Jarrell Casey just got moved for a seventh. And Jarrell Casey's a very similar, very similar prospect that had a much better year last year and is a year younger provides a lot more as a pass rusher, which is infinitely more important to a defensive coordinator than being able to stop the run. I just, I, I, you know, sixth or a seventh will get this deal done, no problem. Oh, I'm an idiot. He's already a free agent. Never mind. Ignore any reference to the Jaguar. I was looking at it, and it's, it says his contract is $2.5 million. That's dead cap money for the Jaguars, who have already released him. So he's a free agent? Yeah, dude. I mean, again, it comes down to how much is it going to cost. I say again, I don't know, I deleted a bunch of this because I had referenced trade information and everything. Now, just to put it into context, the Jaguars declined to pay him $20 million and released him, which is reasonable, and the reason he's probably still a free agent is because he's wanting to get as close to $20 million as possible. I don't think I'd want to pay him more than, I don't know, not very much at all, I guess. Anyways, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. Um, again... As far as being predictive, it's really hard to say. Very similar to Rick Wagner and Michael Pierce and a lot of other guys who have been really good for a very long time, had one down year because of injury. Do you anticipate them getting better? Are they going to come back fully healed? Are they going to play at what they used to do when they were 25, 6, 7, 8 years old? If you believe that, then we should go out and get Marcel Darius. If you don't, then we shouldn't. Now, again, all of this is not really worth talking about because I think the Packers are pretty comfortable with where they're at especially this late in the game. Today is the ninth. We are four days away from football. If they called today and said, we want Marcel Darius out here, he'd have to fly out there. They'd have to do a workout. They'd have to work on a contract. I mean, it would be like on game day, he'd have to get ready to get suited up and go play. I don't even think he'd play week one if we called him today. Maybe, but I mean, the, the bottom line is, I think we just have to come to grips with the fact that the team that we have is the team that we have. It's not impossible that something happens, but it's extremely unlikely. I think the Packers have constructed a roster, and it just is what it is. Now, that brings us to the Snacks-Harrison conversation, which is more of just an interesting note than anything else, but put Twitter into an absolute tailspin. Um, Ryan Cooper on Twitter uh, responded to a Snacks-Harrison tweet. He said, what are you guys mad about today? I feel like he's done that several times. But Ryan Cooper, Rye Cooper 12 I might as well shout him out since he caused all this, 
says, I'm mad that the Packers haven't requested your services. Snacks Harrison responded, they have. Now, he did follow that up with meaning at one point. Not sure about recently. I don't know the team names of recent. He has gone on to say that he has specifically asked to not be told what teams are inquiring about him. We also have to fold in the fact that um, the Green Bay Packers do basically call about everybody. However, he phrased this as not to say that he couldn't have just taken it out of context or whatever. It's possible they just called and are like, hey, what's the price or any of that, whatever. But it says the Packers haven't requested your services, as in would like you to come here to play for us. Not just inquiring, but we want you here. And Snacks said they have. Now again, this was a while ago, not recently, at least not that he's aware of. It's possible there's there's more recent conversations and ongoing conversations going on. But I do feel like now that we're here, the Packers have switched from building the roster to winning football game. Now there's certain personnel that that's just your job. You continue working, you continue gathering information, you continue trying to improve the roster. That's the GM's job largely. But big moves like this, I just feel like we would... We need to focus on giving Matt LaFleur the time and the resources to build a game plan on how to win. And throwing a new body into the middle of this is just going to cause problems. A guy that's never been here, he doesn't understand the defense, he doesn't understand any of this stuff. You've got to get him up to speed, you got to do all, you know, everybody has, you know, Kingsley Kiki has a role, he has everything kind of figured out. Now we got to change all that, we got to change what we're doing. I just don't really think it's, it's, it's a thing. But, um, as it turns out, we already knew this. We all forgot that we knew this, but apparently we knew this. Uh, Paul Brettel for Dairyland Express for writing for Fansided five weeks ago wrote an article that says Green Bay Packers reportedly offered Snacks Harrison a contract. It's been reported that this offseason the Green Bay Packers did make a, quote, competitive contract offer, unquote, to defensive lineman Snacks Harrison. So there you go. We already knew this. Um... And again, this is this is different than just calling around and asking. This is we we're trying to get help, and it's it's kind of tipping your hand a little bit. You know, when we look at the wide receiver position, the frustrating part for a lot of fans is the thought that we're content with what we have and feeling like we shouldn't be. This is the GM tipping his hand, saying we're not good enough in this area, and we want to be better, and we're actually going out and offering money to people to come out here. It also should be noted that Snacks Harrison is a different kind of player. We don't usually go out and get these big body type of guys. Snacks Harrison, Michael Pierce, Marcel Darius, these are all bigger body guys who offer almost nothing as pass rushers, but are dominant run defenders. But also, again, Snacks is the exact same way. Very good football player for years, had a bad year with Detroit. Well, it's because of Detroit, it's because of this, that, or the... Well, maybe, maybe not. So there's a lot of those types of players that are floating out there, all of which have had down years just in 2019... Some of them, again, like Michael Pierce, got contracts. Some of them are still floating. And and I don't think it's because they're not getting offers. They're just not getting the offers they want. Again, Marcel Darius lost $20 million when the Jaguars said no thanks. So he's probably having a hard time saying yes to these $5 million offers. Same with Snacks. He's getting older. He had a down year. He kind of popped off at the mouth a little bit about not wanting to be in Detroit and all this kind of stuff, which he has since changed his tune. Same with Marcel Darius. He apparently had, quote-unquote, worn out his welcome in Buffalo. So there's all these factors going into this to where they probably think they're worth more than teams really want to offer. And again, at this point in the season, unless there's a team that's just looking for a Hail Mary that's just desperate, I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, maybe the Packers are desperate, but they've never really been that kind of a team that just does desperation-type stuff. There's too much pride in Lambeau for that. 
they're going to stick to what they feel is good value and you're either going to accept it or you're not and if you're not we'll just live with what we have so anywho's um, I should probably save it, but we might as well get this out of the way because we got a more pressing things like actual football games coming up. Um, again, the Yannick thing will not stop. Next Gen Stats came out with a thing that says, Highest pressure rate when a team is winning by 7-plus points since 2016, minimum 400 pass rushes. Number 1, Yannick Ngakwe. Number 2, Aaron Donald. Number 3, Everson Griffin. Number 4, Von Miller. Number 5, Preston Smith. Now, that's impressive. You have a list, and one, one of the important things about this is the fact that it, it is a list of, of good pass rushers, right? There are lists that I can make, and I've done this in the past to kind of illustrate a point, right? Well, sacks are the or not sacks, that's a bad example. Um, interceptions are the most important thing. Okay, well, sort by interceptions, look at the list. It's not the list of the top 10 best corners in football or safeties in football, because that's not the best way to judge things, and you can prove it by just sorting that. Now, it's not a great list. Everson Griffin is clearly not the third best pass rusher in football, and Preston Smith is clearly, as much as I appreciate him, not the fifth best pass rusher in football. So already you can look at it and say there's a couple of good names, but a lot of this is just kind of silly. But here's the other thing. When a team is leading by seven plus points, and since 2016, there's two ways we can use stats. The way that I like to use statistics is first you build out an idea of what you're looking for. And I've talked about pressure percentage. And I think pressure percentage is important because what you do is you sit back and you say, okay, if you're a good pass rusher, what does that mean? What can you do? What can't you do, et cetera? And so I sat here and I said, I think if you're a good pass rusher, it's not just a matter of how many sacks you get, but it's a matter of when I tell you to do a thing, how good are you at doing that thing? When I tell you to go get the quarterback, how often do you get to the quarterback? Now, there are extenuating circumstances, but I think that's as close as we can get with having a big enough sample size that kind of averages out over a season without throwing in too many ridiculous variables that just throws this thing into a tailspin, that's what I want to use. That's what I did. I sat back and said, this is what a good pass rusher does. Then you go get the information, you build it out, and you look at the list. That's what you do with statistics. That's number one. You start with the premises first of what makes a good player good. Then you go get the information and use all the available information to build out the answer to your question. You use stats to assist in your question. The other way to use statistics is to lie, is to say, I want to prove a thing, and I'm going to twist the statistics until it says what I want, because you can prove anything you want. And so the real easy way to see, is this a good statistic, or is this somebody just trying to lie to prove a point, is to look at all the qualifiers and ask if they're necessary to answer the question, is this a good football player? For example, with pass rush percentage, you start from the premise of a good pass rusher gets pressures, right? So you look at total pressures, but there's problems with that. Some guys play more snaps than others, right? You, it's hard to say, and this is the biggest reason people knock Rashawn Gary, because he, he didn't have any stats, or he had very low stats. Well, the problem with looking at it from that standpoint is they had very few opportunities. So you would look at the stats divided by the opportunities. So you could just look at it as, as snaps, right? How many pressures you got divided by how many times you were on the field. The problem with that is that sometimes you're playing against the run. I don't expect you to pressure the quarterback when you're trying to stop a running back. I don't expect you to pressure the quarterback when you're being asked to drop into coverage. That's unfair to do that. I want to know how many times when you're told to rush the passer do you do that. That's why it's my standard, because it's the thing that makes the most sense. And the only qualifiers are ones that are necessary qualifiers to get a clearer picture. Total pressures 
divided by pass rush attempts. Pass rush attempts are the qualifier, but it's a necessary qualifier to get a clearer picture. When you say team is winning by seven points, why? When a team is winning by seven points, why do you need to do that? Why is that a necessary qualifier to get a better picture? It's not. It's an unnecessary qualifier to distort the picture to get a different image. Since 2016, why is that a necessary qualifier? It's not. You don't look at four years of play to determine how good a player is today. That's an unnecessary qualifier to distort the picture to put a to give you a different image. And I've already explained why people are doing that. It's because he had a really good 2017 season. And you have to go back that far. And 2016 was obviously better than average, which is why they include that as well. But when you add those two years in, it makes it look like he's better than he is. But again, I'm not using this because it's unnecessary. But people keep doing this because they're trying to paint a picture in which Yannick Ngakwe is one of the best pass rushers in football because they've been saying that for years and they don't want to now admit that they're wrong. And on the part of, of next-gen stats, I don't think that's their necessarily their thing. They're just trying to use their stats to give you a cool picture of something to, to ramp up excitement, right? Somebody did a thing and look how good they are. But obviously it's, it's ridiculous. Yannick Ngakwe is the best pass rusher in football. Aaron Donald, ahead of Aaron Donald, Everson Griffin is the third best, then Von Miller, then Preston Smith. And so the other thing you can do is try to take the qualifiers and create a new sentence out of it, right? So if you go since 2016, you can say maybe the most consistent. But the problem with that, again, is we're not including 2015, 14, 13, 12, 11. And we're also making it unfair by putting minimum 400 pass rushes because guys like Nick Bosa, who've only had one year, don't qualify because they haven't rushed the passer 400 times. So, I mean, it, it's, it's very straightforward what they're doing. And anybody looking at this should see how ridiculous this is. These are unnecessary qualifiers. Start from a position of figuring out, don't, don't start, see, and this is the thing, they start from the position of how do we put Yannick on top, and then they twist it until that happens. Start from a position of how do we build out the best statistic and then move forward. And of course, that's what a lot of people do, and then you end up with these ridiculous lists. And then you should probably go back and tweak it and find out what you did wrong. That was another thing I wanted to talk about, but I'm just going to stop because I want to get some other stuff done. And it's already quarter to eight. But, I mean, that that's just something I need everybody to keep in mind. And I'm sure 98% of you already do that. But the fact that people look at this and they're like, oh, yeah, I told Yannick is good, man. How do you know? How do you know Yannick is good? I, I've yet to have anybody tell me why they know Yannick is going to be really good this year. Because the thing is, they do this. And then they say the Vikings have the best pass rush duo in football. How do you know? Well, haven't you seen all the information out there? I've seen a lot of garbage information that doesn't tell me anything. Give me information that tells me that in 2020, Yannick Ngakwe will be one of the best pass rushers in football. Give me that information. I mean, I'm tired of doing this, but these, these they won't stop doing this. Next Gen status, Stats, again, had to throw their hat in this ring to help everybody else prove how great Yannick is and get these Vikings fans all fired, which, again, I should probably just keep my mouth shut, let them get excited, because it's just going to add to more crushing defeat and disappointment when he doesn't live up to everything that they wanted him to be. Because they genuinely believe one of the best young pass rushers in all of football took a $6 million pay cut because he loves the Vikings that much and turned down a bunch of $20 million offers and is going to go out there and absolutely dominate. A guy that over the last two years has been worse than Everson Griffin as a pass rusher and has consistently been throughout his career one of the worst run-defending edge rushers in all of football. But suddenly he's going to be playing under Zimmer for a lessened contract and is just going to be an absolute freak. As though if Miles Garrett were to say, I don't want to be with the Browns anymore and just decided he was going to walk away, he would get anything other than a $28 million contract. 
for about six years. Twelve million. You guys are ridiculous. This whole thing is ridiculous. And I'm tired of doing this. But again, I have Tourette's. It's a rare form of Tourette's where I have to call stupid people stupid. 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 Or stupid. I'll call you whatever name I feel like. And Next Gen Stats just made the list. And, and it's not like it's wrong. It's just, it's, 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 you know how sometimes people will do things and they'll pretend they're not trying to say something bigger, but they clearly are. This is, this is classic with politics and it's classic with politics in the NFL right now. I'll just leave that alone, but it's the reality. They're making a very large statement. And then when you go at them and, and address the large statement, they say, I'm not making a large statement. I'm just saying this one little thing. All I'm saying is, is Yannick is, uh, has the highest pressure rate when a team is winning by seven points since 2016, minimum 400 pass rushers. That's literally all I'm saying. Yeah, but that's kind of random. Why are you saying that? I'm just saying. It's not a big deal. Can't I say things? Am I not allowed to say things? You're clearly trying to point out that he's the best pass rusher in football. You're clearly making a statement about how good Yannick Ngakwe is. But again, if you say he's not that good, well, I'm not, I'd, who said that? Nobody said that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying this, this tiny little thing. You're a liar. You're clearly trying to make this much bigger picture, this much bigger statement, and you're lying about it being this little thing. You're moving the goalpost around, and it drives me nuts. I'm not going to buy into that. You put together a list like this, I'm going to kick you right in the head, and I'm going to hold you accountable for it. You put a list together that has Yannick Ngakwe as the best pass rusher in football, according to this list. If it's not saying he's the best, then clearly your list is stupid, and you should never have put it together, and you should never have put it all over Twitter. Either stand by this statement or don't. These stats guys are ridiculous. If you're not trying to say anything other than if I throw together some random stats and it comes out with a random list, I mean, I, what are we doing? I mean, if I if I put together a list that was most tackles by an inside linebacker since 2013, minimum six seasons, which, again, random, but whatever, that also has 14 sacks minimum, and I just throw that list together, and there, there you go. There's your top five. Like, what is this telling me? Is this a list of the best linebackers in football? No, it's just it's just it's just a list I made. Wow. I'm gonna give you a gold star and put it on the fridge, sweetheart. That's adorable. Thank you, Next Gen Stats. Thank you for this macaroni picture of garbage. I don't know what it is. It scribbles on a piece of paper, but I'm gonna hang it up on the fridge for you, okay? That's what this is. It's random scribbling nonsense. That hopefully mommy hangs up on the fridge for you. So, so stupid. There's too much stupid in the world. (sighs) I feel like that's a good last sentence for the show. There's too much stupid in the world. And so I'll leave it at that. Um, Tomorrow is officially the first day of football. Very, very excited. Again, I'm going to be looking at the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Giving my thoughts on that game. I don't know if it's going to be the whole thing. I kind of feel like I want it to be just because I'm super excited about football and I want to talk about an actual game and I want to get excited about it, but it is still a Packers podcast, so I'll, I'll try to figure out that dynamic. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.